Wonderful, precious Lord Jesus, how we love you this morning. We thank you, Lord, for an opportunity of each day that we arise to be drawn nearer, to fall more in love with you, Lord, to surrender more of ourselves to your divine purpose and your will, Lord. I pray you bless each one of our brothers and sisters here this morning as we've gathered together, Lord, to worship you, to sing songs of Zion, to to give you praise, Lord, to tell everyone around how much we love you, Jesus. Lord, I think again all many times the way Paul would say it in the way that's called heresy. That's the way I worship the God of my fathers. Lord, we're not ashamed this morning to worship you with all that's within us. We will not allow any rock to take our place, Lord. We love you. We appreciate you. We're redeemed by you. We're healed by you. We're restored by you, Lord. We're so many blessings that you poured out upon your people, Lord. We don't have enough time to just testify and thank you for all you've done. But, Lord, we thank you, Jesus. I pray, Lord, as we turn now to the ministry of the word, that you, the word, would step forward. Take your word, Lord. We've opened our hearts to you today. We've cultivated them, Lord. The the ground is ready for the planting of your seed. Lord, your word is a seed. I pray, Lord God, that you'd found good ground in us this morning, that you would take your word and make us more like you, that you would draw us nearer, that you would help us to surrender more, that we would be made more into your glorious image, Lord Jesus. Bless each one today, Lord. Lord, you are the minister of each need. Lord, there's many needs sitting here today, Lord God, but you know each one. Lord, before the foundation of the world, you knew what time we'd be standing here today, how we'd be dressed, what we'll be going through, and yet you still supply all of our needs, Lord. And I pray as you walk up and down the aisles of this church this morning that you would touch each brother and sister, Lord. Meet them right there where they're at, Lord God. Lord, wrap your arms around them. Let them know you, Lord. Let them know how real you are. How present you are, Lord. How great and kind and merciful and gentle. Precious, Lord Jesus. Lord, we thank you for confirming your word. And Lord, as again, we want to say here at the beginning, how thankful, Lord God, that that you'll vindicate and confirm the power and the greatness of your truth, Lord Jesus. And at the close of this service, Lord, after you've confirmed it once again, We will give you such praise and glory and honor. It will be our testimony as we leave here, just like Cleopas and his friend, has in our hearts burned within us as you, the Lord Jesus, has walked and talked with us along the way. Bless each one here today. We adore you, Lord Jesus, in your lovely and holy name. Amen. 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 God bless you this morning. God bless you. Welcome. We appreciate each one of you being here with us today. I pray that God pours out the greatest of blessings for your life. How are we working with our mic? You going good? Not too loud? Not too, no reverbing, no squelching yet? To God be the glory. I want to, I didn't finish up there in Hebrews chapter 4 on Wednesday night. This will be part 4 of the weapons of our warfare. But I want to read just three verses there. If you'll turn back to Hebrews chapter 4 with me. And they'll get it on the screen for you as well. Hebrews chapter 4, we'll read that in verse 12, verse 13, and then verse 16. God bless y'all this morning. Bless you. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. And again, this is the weapons of our warfare. 
We don't wrestle with flesh and blood, as Paul taught us, but principalities and powers of darkness. You understand this? As we start right here at the beginning of our service this morning, you understand that you're in a battle. You are in a battle. Yes, the battle for your salvation is won, that's settled and secure, but you're still in a battle to stay here. You have a fight. You have loved ones. You have those that you've been commissioned to fight for. You're not meant to cower away. You're not meant to tuck yourself up, hide in a corner and say, us four no more. No, you're called to fight. You're called to fight. Now, if you're called to fight, any good fighter, no matter what trade or what skill it is, you need to train to see what, how you're going to fight. You need to learn how because your enemy is very well-versed. He's been doing this a long time. He started out fighting angels in heaven. He got whooped, of course, but he started out fighting angels in heaven. He's been perfecting these skills for a minimum of 6,000 years. And then you're just born 20 years ago, 50 years ago. You're not very old compared to how his skill is. The Bible says he's a worthy adversary, but he's a con man. He's a bluff. He has no power. He walks around like a roaring lion, but he is not the roaring lion. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing, piercing, even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Neither, verse 13, is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened under the eyes of the Lord with whom we have to do. That's you this morning. There's nothing hid from him. That's the biggest flaw of man that thinks that he gets away with anything. Thinks he can say anything. He can think anything. You ain't getting away with nothing. Hebrews says that he that comes to God must believe that he is. He is God. He sees all. He hears all. He knows all. The devil's telling you that he didn't see that. He didn't know that, but God knows it. There's nothing hid from him. And then verse 16, because of the grace and the mercy and the shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, Paul would say in verse 16, let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and grace to help in time of need. God bless you. You may be seated this morning. <clears throat> Just to kind of back up and, and, and catch up some of those that haven't been here where we've been at in this study that, that what God has done in our day through redemption. And you've always got to know where you stand with the Lord Jesus. You always need to know where you stand with each other. You realize that? You need to know where you stand with each other. Where you're at with your brother and sister. If there's, that's why the Bible will give provision. If you have any ought with one another. If there's done a trespass. Any of those things, go to that person. Talk it out with him. Understand that I didn't mean that. I, forgive me if I've offended, if I've wronged. All those things that you make it clear. That way you know exactly where you stand. I'm starting here in the natural because you know how the devil will fight you. They throw one look your way. Well, I know what they're thinking. They turned their back just as you walked up for whatever reason. Oh, they're shunning me now. You don't know where you stand. But there's a way to know. There's a way to work those things out. There's a way to come to an understanding between your brothers. Even if you have things you disagree with. Even if you have things you disagree with. I don't agree with that. I don't believe that. But I still love you. I'm still here fighting for you. And at the end of the day, when you walk away, you know where I stand and I know where you stand. We love one another. That's our basis. We start right there. 
So when you come to Lord Jesus and each one of us being born in sin, shaped in iniquity, not one person in this room was not born in sin and shaped in iniquity. Not one person didn't come to this world speaking lies. No one ever told you how to lie. No one ever had to teach you how to lie. You instinctively knew because of the way you were born. You were not meant to be born that way, but yet here it is. God is a redeemer. God can take that sinful flesh, that sinful nature, and he can so redeem and restore it to a place to where that now you can stand in his presence. See, again, just to lay some foundation here, in Moses' day, there back in Exodus, that as the glory of the Lord would come down upon that mountain, even the point where the Lord rolled out with his finger in the stone tablets, he engraved in those stone tablets the Ten Commandments, and he brought them back to the people. When God come down on that mountain, the presence and the mightiness and the, the glory of a very just and holy God so saturated that mountain that no one else but Moses, no other beast can even touch that mountain without being killed without being killed you could not come into his presence without being killed everybody understand me this morning you could not because of what Adam and Eve did come into his presence without being killed you have every Old Testament manifestation and type of what it would be you have Esther there before the king of Hasuerus she had to go into the king she had to bring her request she had to bring this petition this man was trying to kill all of her people just like the enemy, your devil, that's out there fighting you. He's trying to steal, kill, and destroy. You had it right there with Haman that come against the Jews. And she, Mordecai told her, you've got to go to the king. She said, I can't go to the king unless I've been bid. You don't go before the king unless he's bid you. He extends his scepter to you. So now she walks in there knowing that it's life or death one way or the other. Either Haman kills her or the king kills her. She says, I'll go to the king. I won't take my chance with the devil. I'll go before the king. She walks in there and that king in his mercy extends his scepter and he tells her anything your heart desires. Anything your heart desires to the half of my kingdom. King Ahasuerus said, a gift to thee. We couldn't go to him. We couldn't cross that divide. We couldn't cross that chasm. We couldn't come before his presence with thanksgiving. There was no way. There was a barrier between you and him. But the mighty conqueror stepped forward and prevailed. He stepped forward and prevailed and brought a blood sacrifice where that now you can come before his presence with thanksgiving and not be killed. You now, like we just read, can come before his presence not as a servant, not begging, not just as a worm, which we are. We're not worthy of any grace. We're not worthy of any mercy. We understand where we stand. But it's such mercy of the living God that he would say, come to me boldly. I just read it to you. Come boldly before me. You come boldly before me. Ask your petition. What do you need this morning? Amen. That sound too simple? That sound too simple? You think about the use of that third pool. Brother Ram sitting in the woods. I think of that very, very often that you have the prophet sitting in the woods. Knowing he won't get no squirrels. Wrong time of day. All this stuff's going on too loud. Too much moving around. And he's sitting there knowing that he won't get any squirrels. He said, I'm just going to talk to the Lord. And he's going through Mark 11, 22. If you say, if you say to this mountain, if you, and he said, and I know I say this all the time because this is something to me. This is really something tangible to me. He says, Lord, why would you word it like that if you say to this mountain? 
We're just sinners. We're just born in this way. But God stepped forward and said, my power, my grace, my life, my love I give unto thee. And he says, Lord, why would it be that way? The Holy Ghost speaks to him and says, that scripture's true just like every other scripture is true. He said, when they speak, it ain't them speaking. It's him speaking in you. So then he asked the prophet sitting there in the woods, what do you need? What do you need? He asked Hattie Moser, Hattie Wright, in that room, what do you need? She had to figure out what she needed. But God moved on the scene and gave her the desire of her heart. It was a just and right desire. You know the bride is going to ask the right thing. She's not going to ask for a billion dollars. She's not going to ask for a fleet of Cadillacs. She's not going to ask for palaces everywhere. She's going to ask just like the Lord Jesus would ask. Lord, save that person's soul. Lord, I claim them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, shed their blood upon them. Your blood upon them. God is merciful and God is great. And his wife will be the same way because he wants the same kind of character that he is. He wants that same kind of character. So this morning, we can come boldly before him. I want to read this to you out of the message, The Uncertain Sound. And as I said earlier, that we are in a battle. We're in a, a battle for what God has set you to be in this day. And there's never been more provision. There's never been more armament. There's never been more way made than what you have access to this morning. In the message, The Uncertain Sound, 1960, December 18, we paragraph 513, Charity. This is one of Brother Brown's closing prayers. In the message, The Uncertain Sound, it's kind of fitting, isn't it? Because there's all kinds of sounds, all kinds of voices out there that's trying to tell you to do this, to think this, to go this way. This is what God means. This is what God says. But all the time, your Lord Jesus is a gentleman standing there just softly speaking. The most powerful being and entity there ever has been doesn't scream, doesn't yell. He just stands there and speaks. And so many times we let the voices of all those other things crowd out his voice. But in this message, the uncertain sound that Brother Bram, you know, the scripture says, don't listen to that uncertain sound. You listen to what's been proved. And he, this is his prayer. He says, now, Father God, we pray that you'll move every obstacle that's in our way. Many of these people here are not in a marching condition. Not in a, are you this morning in a marching condition in the army of the Lord? Are you this morning in the marching condition Again, you're not called to sit on the sidelines. You're not called to do what you want, to think your own ways. Your thoughts are not his thoughts. Your ways are not his ways. You're called to be, like Joel said, in the army of the Lord. And if you jumped into Joel 2 and see how fierce that army is, if you jumped over to Ezekiel 37 or Ephesians 6 and see what that army looks like, it's in a marching condition. You think it's a coincidence the Lord Jesus let Brother Branham see the, the preview of the bride? You remember the vision that he watched them from every tongue, every nation in the preview of the bride, and they're all marching. The ones of the world, they're marching downward. They're going downward. He looks at her. He said, she's dressed perfectly, beautiful white gowns, and just walking perfectly in step, going straight up in a marching condition. And he said, Lord, a lot of these people, they're not in marching condition. They're here because they're sick and afflicted. This doesn't have to be just your body. This doesn't just have to be that you're sick and afflicted in your body. Your soul and your spirit can get sick. Your spirit can get wounded. You can have scars upon your heart where it shuts you down. That Bible talks about don't have a stony heart. The Lord Jesus said, if you'll come to me, I'll take your stony heart and I'll give you a new heart. See, you're living in a world that there's constantly fiery darts of the enemy coming at you. Constantly. 
constantly coming your way. You're constantly being offended. You're constantly having junk told your way by your enemy because it is the enemy. It is not the person doing it or saying it. It's the one that is the power of darkness that comes against you. And that's who we're wrestling against this morning. You're not meant to be kicked and knocked down and just be some little weak, wimply, wimply thing on the floor. You're meant to stand up and put that thing back under your feet where it belongs. Not to run and hide, but to be in a marching condition. And you let the Lord Jesus. It, it's funny how that the devil will, he'll let you think one thing. Okay, if you're going to believe that God's a healer for your body, okay, I'll step back and I'll allow that and I'll stop fighting you. You seem to have faith in that way. But don't you dare have faith that God will heal your spirit. Don't you dare have faith that God will heal your heart, heal your soul. Don't you dare go that far. He's only a healer of your body. No, no, no. He's healer of body, soul, and spirit. He comes to set the captives free. Those things chain you. It's a chain. It's a chain that chains you to this world and to this reality. It chains you into this dimension. You're not from the fourth dimension. You're not from here. You're from that seventh dimension. That's where the only reason you get to go back is because you're from there. If you weren't with him in the original thoughts and minds of God before the foundation of the world, you'll not go there when it's all wrapped up. But that's where you're from. So you're meant to go there. You're not meant to be chained to this world. And those things chain you. They chain you. The devil uses those to hold you down, your offenses and your complexes. He said, they are here because they're sick and they're afflicted. How can that sickness hold them people? How can those afflictions keep them crippled and in a wheelchair when they're on the march to the promised land? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God, when we apply our hands to their body, may the devil get scared and move back. May the devil get scared and move back. May they be in a marching condition. May they be. Turn to Daniel chapter 6. We'll start right there at verse 14, and this is where Daniel's being cast in the lion's den. And these people that were against him, just like in Esther's day, they didn't like him. They didn't like what God was doing in his life. They had a real problem with him. So they tried to even change the laws and the municipalities to where they could trap him in something and get him destroyed so he wouldn't be a bother to them anymore. It's amazing what the conviction of God will do to somebody. They can't stand it. If they're in a sinful condition, they, can't stand, they don't want to be around you. They can't stand it because you convict their heart. They, they might come in, we've had those that have come in here and been in the presence of the Lord, and their own testimony would be God was moving in there. The, you'd have to be, you, I don't know, you'd have to be something not to know that God was there. Then turn right back out and go back to their sinful condition. Not come back because that conviction gets in the heart. Because when you come to the Lord Jesus, he is only light. There's no darkness. We don't live in a day where he winks at ignorance anymore. We don't live in that day. Aaron, we was talking about that before church about Revelation chapter 2 and Revelation chapter 3 as he works through those church ages and what God allowed because it is a pyramid. This walk of the Lord Jesus, it is a pyramid. It starts at a very wide base. You come unto him, all the heavy and weary and heavy laden. He said, I'll give you rest. But I'm this, but I'm this. I understand. I'm not disputing you're a sinner. I'm not disputing what you've done, but you've got to come to me. 
When you come to him, you step upon that road. Yes, you were a sinner. You might have been smoking. You might have been drinking. You might have been doing drugs, whatever it might have been. And God took you in that way, but he's not meant to leave you that way. You cannot say that I'm a Christian and still be eat up with lust, eat up with a critical spirit, all these, these things. He'll stand up and say, I'm a Christian because Jesus Christ does not do those things. He does not. He calls you from those things. He doesn't walk right up in your muck and, and smoke a joint with you and then say, oh, let's go on to heaven. God, don't do that. He has no part with those things. has no part with the pleasure of this world. You must cast them down and walk with him. There's only two ways to go. There's only two ways to go. And hell was not made for man. Hell was only made for Satan and his angels. You know, the Bible says that hell has to enlarge itself to take the people Satan takes with him. I still can't get over that scripture. Hell had to be added on to to take all the people Satan takes with him. It was not made for man. The Bible said God would that none would be lost. Would but none would be lost. God's a redeemer. He's a restorer. But you love the Lord this morning? So as you step upon this walk, and again, it's a pyramid. It's meant to take you from this dimension to that dimension. Everything you see here is vanity. Everything. Solomon, the wisest, second wisest man that ever lived outside the Lord Jesus Christ, was his, his, his accumulation of everything he looked at, had all the wealth, had all the women, had all the power, had all the fame. And at the end of the day, he said, everything is vanity. Everything in this world is vanity. And it's interesting that he uses that word because Jonah comes along and says that those that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercies. Remember, we're not to keep our eyes on those things in the world. You're told to keep your eyes there. Paul said, press toward that mark. Press toward that mark, that prize, that goal, that thing that I'm attaining to. And it's not just, well, I guess you would just roll me up. No, no, you're to fight your way every inch of the step. Every step, every way, every bit of you get up and you fight your way there. So as you step upon this road and they, God, you come to the Lord Jesus and now you're in that path, God keeps building you up. He keeps building you up and he keeps building you up till you are yet right now in your life in the message of this hour that now you're in the capstone age. You're in the capstone age. And a lot of people like to say, well, there's no grace, there's no blood, there's no mercy anymore. Zechariah's got a prophecy for that. He said when the headstone, the capstone come down, it was crying, grace, grace. How much do you need? There's more than you'll ever use. The mercy of the king. A lot of people get tripped up about when the, the, the lie of the tribe of Judah stepped off that mercy seat to come down and to take his place with you. They, and they say, well, now the door is shut. There's no more mercy. You don't understand mercy. You don't understand the grace. He died to give it to you. You think you're going to fall short of it? <laughs> you don't know the God we serve. So as you're on this path, and God's building you up, he's building you up to each one of those church ages in Revelations 2 and 3, and get you all the way down to the Laodicean church age, and that's at that top part, and it's not capped. That's the end of the Laodicean church age. The prophet of our day would say that you're not run out of numbers because you're at that seventh day, that complete wrapping up, the end of the week. He said what God has done is in reality Revelations chapter 4. That's the reality of what God did. You have that picture. That's Revelation 3.20. Come unto me. He's outside the door of what's supposed to be his church. And they don't want him in. They kicked him out. And they put God on the outside. And he's standing there in Revelation chapter 3 saying, Come unto me. If any man will open as I knock, come unto me. That's how Revelation 3 ends out. Then John says this. This is the bride age. This is that eighth day. This is that holy convocation that Leviticus would tell you about. That Revelation 4 happens. He said, and behold, I looked. I heard a voice that said, come up higher. Come up higher. Higher. Paul would say into the heavenlies. Come up higher. 
And the prophet of our day would teach you that it's the hidden life in Christ. Yes, the latest in church age is going on out there. But in here, you're in that holy of holies. In here, you're in that mercy seat. In here, you become the little room in the tent. Now, if you don't understand that prophecy, that might not, not mean much to you, but, but you become that little room, the tent. You become the house, the tabernacle, the building, the use vehicle of the Shekinah glory, which is Elohim, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. That's what you become. Your very heart becomes his throne. Your very heart. Daniel chapter 6, verse 14. They had made this decree. He signed it. They tricked him, and he signed it. And then he comes along, and they, they now got to put Daniel in. He said, then the king, when he heard these words, was sore displeased with himself. And he set his heart on Daniel to deliver him. And he labored to the going down of the sun to deliver him. Then these men assembled upon the king, under the king and said unto the king, Know, O king, that the law of the Medes and Persians is. Now, they don't give you a lot of detail but between those two verses, but you got to understand that he caught their attention. Because what the king was doing, he got their attention. They thought, well, we've been signed these things. He knows what the law is, and he won't kick it. He won't try to overturn it whatsoever. The next thing they do, they see the king trying to overturn this law. So they have to come in and wag the little finger in their head. Oh, no, no, no. You know what the law says. You know what the law says. He realized the mistake he made. That's why he was displeased with himself. They assembled on the king and said unto the king, Know, O king, that the law of the Medes and Persians is that no decree nor statute which the king establisheth may be changed. Now, we're talking in a natural sense right now, but this is very true of your God as well. Something he established won't be changed. Something he set up for you, it won't be changed. It will be completed to the day of your translation. Then the king commanded, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. Now the king spake and said unto Daniel, Thy God, whom thou servest continually. This man wasn't a Christian. This man would have been a pagan, not a believer of God. But he looks at the life of Daniel, and he said, Thy God, whom you serve continually. Wouldn't you want somebody to testify that about you? Oh, my goodness, brother. Thy God, whom thou servest continually. Not every once in a while or... You, sometimes you act like a Christian, sometimes you don't. I want to testify to me that I always serve him, that I always serve him, always talking about him. You can tell that I love him. He said, thy God whom thou servest continually, he will deliver thee. Can you say amen to that this morning? He will deliver thee. And a stone was brought and laid upon the mouth of the den. That sound like the tomb where the Lord Jesus was laid in? They put a tomb in, a stone to try to hold him in? And they, <clears throat> they brought him in. They threw him in there. And his stone was brought and laid upon the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords that the purpose might not be changed concerning Daniel. He had done all he could in a natural sense. All that he could, he'd done in a natural sense. David, Daniel didn't serve a natural God. Daniel serves a supernatural God. They don't operate. They ain't bound to the chains of this world and this reality. Then the king went to his palace and passed the night fasting. Something's starting to rub off of Daniel onto the king. But now this pagan king is now spending his night fasting for this brother. He spent the night fasting, and neither were instruments of music brought before him, and his sleep went from him. And the king arose very early in the morning, went in haste unto the den of lions, 
And when he came to the den, he cried with a lamentable voice unto Daniel. And the king spake and said to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, is thy God, whom thou servest continually, there it is again, able to deliver thee from the lions? Do you think there was a pause? You think he waited? Or you think he started shouting, I'm still here. I'm st- your enemy comes against you in such a way, he tries to mow you down. And Isaiah said the weapon might be formed, but it will not prosper. He comes against you in everything he can. He sends his floods in of all kinds of nonsense and lies. And the prophet will say a poison spray, yet you're still standing. How can you still be standing? I'm not standing on my own two legs. I'm not standing on my own strength. I'm standing in the strength of the Lord. No matter what comes or what might look your way, he holds you. He holds you. Daniel is thy God whom thou servest continually, able to deliver thee from the lions. Thank you, Joseph. (laughs) Then said Daniel unto the king, O king, live forever. My God hath sent his angel and hath shut the lion's mouth, that they have not hurt me for as much as before him who innocency was found in me. Not before that king, before the king. He looked him over and said, he's innocent. You won't destroy him. He said, whom innocency was found in me also before thee, O king, have I done no hurt. Then was the king exceedingly glad for him and commanded they should take the Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no manner of hurt was found on him. No manner. Not a broken nail. Not a scratch. Not an abrasion. Not a bruise. No manner of hurt was found on him. You know, a few days before that, they chunked Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah in the fiery furnace. And the testimony come back from then, they had something that was heated seven times hotter that after they come out, they didn't even smell like smoke. They didn't even smell like smoke. That God moved them. They might have, their bodies might have been standing there, but they were in a different dimension with him. They didn't even smell like smoke. And now this testimony, being in a den of hungry lions, will show in a minute how hungry, that he said there was no manner of hurt. See, we serve a healer. We serve a healer. He knows what you're going through. He knows what battles you're in. He knows how to keep your heart soft before him. He knows how to keep your heart full of joy before him. No matter what you're going through. But it's bad. But it's tough. But it's hard. But I feel like nothing can ever change. He's right there. He's right there. Because he believed in his God. And the king commanded and brought those men which had accused Daniel. And they cast them into the den of lions. Them and their children and their wives. And the lions had the mastery of them. And break all their bones in pieces before they ever hit the bottom. Let that sink in. They chunked them in the top of the den. Before they never even hit the bottom, they were already tore by the lions. Oh, a lot of people say, well, they weren't really that hungry. Maybe they weren't really those kinds of lions. You're just trying to blow this up and make it, make it bigger than what it is. No, this is what your God did. A man stayed in there all night long. These people didn't even get a foot on the ground in the place, and they were done and over with. See, the prophet of our day would tell you that when Daniel walked in, that pillar of fire went before him. He goes before me. He's a defender behind me. There's none that can stay his hand. They were, or, they're all their bones and pieces or wherever they come at the bottom of the den. Ever they come at the bottom of the den. 
If you turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 with me. Do you love the Lord? Do you appreciate the mercy that God gives us? What a mighty God that we serve. Mighty in battle. Very present help in every, every time of trouble. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 6. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts. Has shined. I wish I could spend an hour on this one verse. God, Elohim, the creator, the only life there is. He is life. He, everything else is a perversion of him. He is life. He's life eternal. He's not life immortal. He's life eternal. He commanded the light to shine out of darkness. Command it. He had shined in our hearts. You know, I, I wish I could take a poll right now. Can you, t- can you testify this morning that this has happened unto you? That he has shined in my heart. That it was not just my want, my idea, my getting caught up in some kind of emotion. No, the eternal light, the King of kings, shined in my heart, quickened this seed and brought it to life. Shined in my heart to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. See, now you're talking about your day. We're not talking about Paul's day. Paul is writing this, but Paul's a prophet. Paul's looking forward to your day. John said, I was carried forward to the Lord's day. That's where we sit right now. Back then, in the Ephesian church age, Paul would say, we look at him as through a glass darkly. If you're trying to uh, describe to someone on the other side of that glass, well, I see a human. He's got a head so big and so far, but you see no detail. But when he steps forward and you don't look through a glass no more, now you see him face to face. To give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. See, it's, it's, it's amazing how Satan's always out to pervert every single thing. See, in the beginning, let's just take you all the way back to Genesis. In the garden that God created for Adam, they're in the garden, and there's all these beautiful fruits, there's all these beautiful trees, all these animals. Can you imagine what the animals would have looked like before the fall? Can you imagine seeing an animal with no mange, no hair discoloration, everything perfection, everything in its beauty? Can you imagine seeing a tree really in its beauty, no blight, no stifled, none of those things, but to stand there and portray its attributes as it raises its hands in worship to God and let the light of God go through it? Can you imagine? In the midst of that garden, there were two trees, the tree of life, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. They were told to not eat of that tree of knowledge of good and evil. The prophet of our day told us that these trees did not have roots in the ground. They had legs. They walked around. You know who the tree of life is. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. Obvious, easily. You find him in Genesis, you find him in Revelation. The thing about the book of Revelation is you have the wrapped up consummation of all the promises and attributes of God. So now you see a tree of life on that side of the river and a tree of life on this side of the river. That's you. You become the word as the word goes through you. As he is, so am I in this world. It's no longer me that lives, but Christ that lives within me. So as you find there in that garden, Satan, who had been before the throne, he knew who God was. He knew what God looked like. He could describe him to you in such detail because he was the cherubim that stood before the throne. No one come to, the, to Elohim without coming through him first. He knew who God was. 
But he thought a way to be able to twist, be able to change something, be able to pull them away from the life which is the Word, which is the Lord Jesus himself. So he stepped in there and twisted knowledge twisted knowledge a lot of people get caught up in these things well in the beginning you have the tree of knowledge good and evil you're not to eat of it so over here we're supposed to be as dumb and stupid as possibly can be that's not what you're called to be satan perverted knowledge he's perverted it today because in its end is death when they come to being able to split an atom, this splitting this atom did not provide power to entire world. It wasn't creating food. It wasn't doing all these things that had life. Its sole purpose was destruction. In its end is death. In its end is death. But Christ is only light in life. Amen. So you see the perversion. And so a lot of people, they try to stray away. But you're living in a day that God no longer winks at ignorance anymore. You cannot say, well, we just believe in the Ephesian age. We're just in the Irenaeus age. We're just in the Smyrnian or the Pergamian or the Thyatira. That's not where you're living at today. He no longer winks at ignorance because the full revealed word of the hour is open before your very eyes. There's no longer an excuse. Well, God, I know that everybody else did this before. They were wrong because it's anti-word. But they did this before. They're wrong. It's anti-word. You yourself cannot point on the day of judgment. Well, my, oh, far, far, far back, they all did this. He said it does not matter what anyone else did. What did you line up with? Did you line up with what I said? Well, no, I mean, I was told it was this. My word didn't tell you that. Who told you that? Well, so-and-so, it wasn't so-and-so. It was that unclean spirit on them telling you it was different in the Word. Tracing back to the beginning, he inserted one three-letter word and brought death to the human race. One three-letter word. It didn't bring some long synopsis or, or novel or book and try to lose her in all the pages and legal descriptions. He brought one three-letter word. It brought death to everything. It brought a curse to everything. So what would the truth do? What would the truth do? And again, you don't live in a day, see, for example, Luther. And the Lutherans, they denominated under this one thought, the just shall live by faith. When God sent Martin Luther, it was in the dark ages. It was in that wrapping of those things. And God quickened one scripture verse to that man's heart. And it didn't just make them Protestants and bring so many out of the Catholic Church. It didn't just do that because your God's a gentleman. He is very merciful to the tares as well. He's very merciful to the wheats as well. That if you look back through history, what God did for him actually made things a lot better for those in the Catholic denomination. And you think, how could it get better in a Catholic church? But God made things a little bit easier for some of them. That's mercy. That's not God vindicating what they're doing. That's not vindicating what they're saying. That's a merciful God. Again, looking down at Cain saying, if you'll just do like Abel did, I'll accept you too. When the rain comes down, he doesn't just water his seed or the wheat. He'll water the weeds as well. God is merciful. He is so merciful. He's so great. And he's so kind. And yet you have all these people that say, well, you know, it's not this. It's not that. You can't look this far. And we'll say that we're a Christian, but we don't really need to know much about the Bible. And then the Bible is exemplified through the message of this hour. God come down and vindicated himself and made himself clearly known. And everything that was preached will back up line by line through that book right there. If it's not, you're not to believe it. Because that book says, if he says anything wrong, any one word different, then you don't have to take it. It's the truth. It's the truth. I don't have to stand here this morning and to tell you that William Brown was a prophet. 
I don't have to vindicate these things. This has been done by the Holy Ghost. It's been done by the Lord Jesus Christ over and over and over, hundreds of thousands of times. In any way, shape, or form, you need to see it done. Need to see the blind healed? They were healed. If you need to hear the deaf and dumb healed, they were healed. If you need to see the dead raised, the cripples, all these things, it was done in the meetings. Not once, not twice, not in a corner, not hid away. Don't tell nobody. Hundreds of thousands of people where they would have truckloads of trucks leaving the meetings with crutches and stretchers and wheelchairs. Amen. See, today... In 1951, I think in 1953, Brother Ram preached messages in two different meetings, expectations. Anniversary in this day. I love those. I love Lifeline for that reason. And I'm not, not at all worshiping those things, but I'm thinking about the expectation of a believer. What you're having available. Again, we're not standing here today saying, well, I know that God is real and all those things, but I know God won't do nothing for me. You've been brought a vindicated word that says it's all for you. I'm reading to you out of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul says all things are for your sake. Well, that's kind of selfish. I didn't say it. He did. All things are for your sake. You understand in a believer's life, everything you go through is only a test. Everything you go through is only a test. So you step back and look and examine what's coming your way and what is going on. Lord, what am I to learn from this? What am I to learn from this? Lord, don't let me fail and miss my opportunity. Let me learn from this. And as God takes and reveals and opens his word to you, he opens from page to page, backwards and forwards, Old Testament, New Testament, all blending between the two of it. And you see one author, one writer speaking to your heart right now but that happened that was written 4,000 years ago this part was written 4,500 years ago the same one is here with you right now to reveal himself to you I've told you so many times out of Christ the mystery God revealed but Abraham said that God had a threefold purpose for his people that very first number one purpose was that God could reveal himself to you Amen. to me yes. Amen. to me to you that's his purpose so let's come back to our expectations what are your expectations with God? Each service you come into, each time you enter into prayer, each time you kneel before the Lord, what are your expectations with God? Are you just trying to feel a, 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 a time slot? Well, I logged my 30 minutes. I logged my hour. I come to my church service. I was there for the opening song. I was there for the closing prayer. I left. Nothing really changed. You didn't come expecting to meet a living God then. If you walk in here expecting to meet a living God, you will not leave the same way. You'll see that living God. We have one sermon on film that's deep, call the deep. But Abraham told you that if you come looking for something to criticize, you'll find something to criticize. But if you come looking to see a living, moving, breathing God amongst his people, you will see that living God. So right now in this moment, in this place, let him vindicate himself to your heart. Let him open your heart. Let him walk in. Let him have complete control. Let him change your life. Let him change your life. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in my heart to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Again, this tells you what day you're living in. We don't see him as a glass darkly. You've been given a revealed word. That second coming, the prophet and the scripture teaches of three comings of Christ. The prophet is emphatic over and over and over. You find in Luke 17, 30, and they're asking Jesus, tell us about this. What's going to happen? He said, it's going to look just like this in the days of Noah and in the days of Lot. It's going to look just like that. And he said, verse 13, 17, chapter 17, verse 30 of Luke, he said, in those days when that's going on, that's when the Son of Man will be revealed. That's when the Son of Man will be revealed. That's when the Son of Man will be revealed. 
And you look at all those provisions for the second coming of Christ. He said, behold, I come as a thief in the night. I come as a thief in the night. The church world, so many people have watered this down to try to let your eyes come off to where you won't see him when he comes. You heard me right, the church world. You heard me right, the church world. The scribes and the Pharisees, 2,000 years, has so presented God in such a way that when he walked up there in the human flesh, they did not recognize him. They said, you're not God, you're the devil. This wasn't some sinner, some drunk, some drug dealer. This was a church leader. This was a scribe and a Pharisee, the Sadducees, saying, you're not God. He says, I've come in my Father's name. It's not me that doeth these things. It's him that's in me that doeth these things. And they said, we don't even recognize you. You're not. They didn't just say, well, maybe you're just a prophet. They said, you're the other guy. They looked at the creator, your lover, your husband, your redeemer, and said, you're the other guy. The scribes and the Pharisees of the church world had twisted things around where they did not recognize him. He told, they told him, he's going to come this way. He's going to come this way. He'll come down. He'll take this 800-foot-long spear. He'll scoop up all the Romans, throw them right in the lake of fire, and now we'll be back to ruling and reigning in our sin and transgressions. That's what they wanted. We want you to rid us of your judgment upon us because that's what they were. The Romans were God's judgment upon them. The Babylonians, every one of them, Titus, was God's judgment upon them. Every one of those was God's judgment because they would not give him their heart. Would not give it. You take him back to Moses, and God told Moses, you tell the people to love your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, with all your strength, with all that you are. He said, that's what I want. They said, no. Next thing you find them is down at the Feast of Baal Peor. You find them following, the Bible says, after the way of Balaam. The way of Balaam, they would not give their heart to him. They, 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 if, you, if you had signage back then, if they had business cards, they would tell you, we're children of the Most High God. We're children of the Most High. Have you seen our sign? Have you seen our building? We got everywhere, children of the Most High God, but you look nothing like him. You look nothing like him. You're not the same people that come out of Egypt. Not the same one, because that God that led them out, for that people there, that the fear of everyone else, they were scared to death of them. That Rahab testifies to them that there is no courage found in all the mighty men of my town. Everyone knows that when you get here, we're done. Everyone knows. And now you have these people murmuring and complaining and, and all these different things to where now that all those years later when he walked in there in human flesh, they said, you're not him. Same thing today. Same enemy today, same perverter of knowledge today, perverter of knowledge, to where that if you look at the word and see that how he'll come, you'll see exactly how he'll come. See, there's a second difference between the first, second, and third coming. The, the second coming, the Bible prophesies over and over and over, thief in the night. Revelation, invisible union, the prophet will teach you. It's an invisible union of the heavenly bridegroom and the earthly bride. The prophet teaches this. I can give you quote after quote after quote. But on that third coming, you come back with him. That's where Jude says, as Enoch prophesied, that he comes forward with 10,000, thousands of his saints. He steps down, just like he told the Jews, upon that mountain. He comes down and that millennial reign starts. This is truth. You might disagree, but this is truth. I can prove it by the Bible, and if you're a message believer, I can prove it by the message. Satan perverts truth. But when Satan perverts you away from anything, you lose your way of escape. 
You heard me right. When he perverts you away from anything, you lose your way of escape. God always makes a way. God always provides a way. You don't have to follow it. You don't have to go that way. Jesus would say when he was in the flesh, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Nobody cometh to God but by me. Well, there's so many ways to heaven. There's so many other ways, and, and we can do this, and we can believe what we want. We can live how we want. We can think how we want, and then we get into heaven. Oh, just like, oh, just the last minute, and, and you got people that are waiting for their deathbed confession. I'll make it all right that last second. You have no guarantee of your next breath. You have no, I know people that are waiting for that. I'll make it all right those last few seconds. You have no guarantee you won't be killed by cars. you leave here. You have no guarantee. You have no guarantee you won't fall over dead in your seat right now. You have no guarantee. Make it all right right now. Make your life clean and bare before him. Don't let your heart beat one more time without cleaning it up before him. In the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So you see where we're at in this day. Verse 7, but we have this treasure. We have this treasure. And earthly vessels that the Shekinah glory can live in me. That same presence that would have to stay in that holy of holies can live in me. As my God, as my Lord, as my Savior, have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. May be of God and not of us. You'll never use the power of God for your own gain. You'll never use it for your own glory. You'll never use it for your own bravado. You'll never use it for anything to make you look like something. Because to get anywhere with God, you have to die. To get anywhere with God, you have to die. Paul said, I die daily. He said, the only reason I'm alive right now is for Christ. For me to die, I get gain. I go there. So if I'm going to live here, I'm going to fulfill his purpose in my life. <clears throat> that the power may be of God and not of us. <clears throat> he said, we're troubled on every side. Troubled on every side. You can agree with that this morning. Everywhere you look, there's trouble. Everywhere you look, there's distress. Everywhere you look, there's tribulation. Because again, your enemy, like a roaring lion, going about seeking whom he may devour. But yet not distressed. Amen. Not distressed. He said, we're perplexed, but we're not in despair. We've been persecuted, but not forsaken. Been cast down, but not destroyed. Always, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. That the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. Paul would say over in Philippians chapter 3, he said that I may know him in the power of his resurrection. That I may know him in the power of his resurrection. See, again, back to this foundation. As you come to the Lord, that it's so easy to forget all that God has set in place for you as a believer and a Christian in this day. That that power of that resurrection lies in you. Paul would tell you if that same power, that same spirit that raised the Lord Jesus from the grave dwells in you, that you've been quickened and made alive in Christ Jesus. So you think about that just a minute. You think about back in the book of Kings where this one particular Hebrew had passed away and his friends went to bury him in the same tomb that Elisha was buried in. And they're sitting there about to, about to put his body in there. And about that time, is it the Amorites or something? They come up and they're going to attack him. So they just hurriedly did. They got the funeral wrapped up as quickly as possible. They chopped his body up in there and had to land on the bones of Elisha. He landed on the bones of Elisha. And immediately, that man come alive and said, wait for me. 
Wait for me. You were dead. We carried your dead carcass in here. Wait for me. That same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. So you have that power of resurrection this morning if you've been filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. You have that quickening power. You've been made alive. You've been made alive that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. In our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake. That the life also of Jesus might be manifested in our mortal flesh. The prophet would say it like this in, I'm not sure if it's unveiling of God, that, that if you take the life of one man and put it into another man, that man becomes that man. He said, if you take the blood from one man and put it into another man, because your blood is what keeps you alive, he said, you're becoming that man. So if the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ is shed abroad in your heart, if his life, if his truth, if his presence, if his anointing, if that quickening power of Christ has so saturated you, which we share that with you a lot of times, how you were specifically designed to be the mercy seat of the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of you haven't heard it, so I'll share it with you again. Revelation chapter 4, John is describing that vision of the throne room. If you had time to jump to Revelation 4 and study this, John said, I saw the throne. He said, and outside of that throne was four living creatures. He says, beast there, that's translated wrong. It's supposed to be zoom, not theron. He said, I see these four living creatures, and on the outside of that is 24 elders. The throne. The throne. So, in your body, the prophet said this back in the 50s about National Geographic. I put out an article. They had discovered in a human heart, in the very center of it, there's a place there that has no purpose whatsoever that they know of. It doesn't even have blood in the center of that heart. He said, I can't believe that's where the soul lives. That's where the Lord Jesus is to live. Now, you think about your heart the way it's described, designed. Your heart has four valves. Four valves. Four living creatures. And on the outside of your heart, it's wrapped in 24 ribs. Twelve per side. In the very center of that is to be his throne. The very center. You were designed to house deity. You were designed to encompass, to shine, to enshroud, to be deity. Not in your flesh, not you, him in you. See, then it was the word made one flesh. Today it's the word made much flesh. Again, before your very eyes. And it's marvelous marvelous in our sight marvelous i want to read this to you the message who is god 1950 brother ram says notice now be sure to get this he said i'm a man under authority also he's talking about that roman centurion come to the lord jesus talking about that account and this this roman centurion had told jesus i'm a man under authority also and if i say to this man you go do it he'll go do it and if i say to this man you come here he'll come he said, I'm under authority. And them who are under me has to obey me. Let that sink in a minute. Those that are under you have to obey you. You again, jump back to the beginning of Genesis. He told the serpent, you'll be under their feet. The devil has been cast down. Isaiah 14, they're saying that Isaiah, as he's seeing that vision of what God did there in the war in heaven, he says, oh, Lucifer, how art thou fallen? How thou art cast down? In Luke chapter 10, as the 70 are coming back to the Lord Jesus, and they're testifying to him that demons are subject unto us through thy name. Jesus says, marvel not at that. Marvel that thy name has been written down in the, 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 the Lamb's book of life. That's what you should marvel about. These demons are nothing. And then Luke chapter 10, verse 18 happens. He said, I beheld Satan fall to the, the earth as lightning. And you would think that's a random statement. That's kind of weird you threw that in. 
Who's saying it? The one that threw him to earth, that kicked him out, that put him under your feet. The captain of your salvation, the mighty conqueror. He said, and you, you, if he come here, he'll come. I'm under authority. I don't even know what paragraph that is, Charity. I'm sorry. But that's out of Who Was God, 1950, August 15. He said, and them who are under me has to obey me. And that Roman centurion knew that Jesus was the Son of God. And that every sickness and every demon was under him. And all he had to do was just speak the word. Not pray, just speak the word, that's all. And it would be done. Because every demon would have to obey him. He asked this question, do you believe that tonight? Again, expectation. Do you believe every demon has to obey him? I, do I need to read you the story of the legion again? He gets off the boat there in the Gadara. His feet touch the shore. Can you imagine those demons' heart rates going up? Can you imagine them sweating? They're getting nervous. All of a sudden, now they got anxiety. Now they're getting depressed. They're getting discouraged. Why? Because he's coming. He's stepping toward us. First words out of their mouth, are you here to destroy us? You here to destroy us? Please don't destroy us. Can we negotiate? Can we go over here? Go over there? Anything. Just don't annihilate us. They didn't think he was the devil. They knew who he was. Every demon has to obey him. Do you believe that? Every demon will obey God. It has to. See, I, I can't remember which uh, sermon is in it. Um, I'm drawing a blank with the Ram was talking about that scripture where all things are possible to God. With man, this is impossible. With God, all things are impossible. But the Ram making that statement, Jesus said, With me, this is impossible. But the Ram said, For you, a believer, all things are possible now to you. He said, That puts it in your boat, puts it in your lap. So now the demons have to obey you. Have to obey you. Have to obey. I'll share something with you. I don't know if Brother William will be watching this later, but he was telling me a testimony last week when he was here. The Lord has let him see things a lot of times in his life. And he was living with his cousin, had become a believer. And his cousin comes screaming out of his bedroom one day, there's something in there, there's something in there. And he said, I went in there. He said, there's this demon standing there about so tall, just basically black pillowy smoke, just a cloud of smoke with burning glowing eyes. And he's sitting there just kind of laughing at him. And he said, the name of the Lord, he said, I don't remember the exact words, but he said, in the name of the Lord, the demon said something, but he said, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, get out. He said, the demon went, and just went through the wall. A few days later, he's there at his house, and the cousin's not there. He said, and he's in the living room, and the bedroom door opens, and that thing walks out. And tells him, you can't make me leave. He wants me here. And he told him, he said, I don't care. I live here too. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, get out. And again, he pitched a fit, but he left. Amen. Demons have to obey. I shared that with you the other night, a testimony of what happened Saturday night in here before service. And his sister cast that thing out. It was over here scratching on this window. Right there, scratching on that window, this black pillory thing. And in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, get out. And it left. Amen. It left. Everything is possible to you now. If your life is surrendered to God, it is possible to you. And he says, do you believe that? That every demon will obey God? It has to. Everything obeys God. Amen. Everything obeys God. Well, Satan's this. Satan's this. Satan is a dog on a chain. He's a dog on a chain. He's a worthy adversary. He's been designed because God knew you needed someone to buffet you in such a way to make you strong enough to be able to overcome. Because he ain't marrying some little wimp. 
He ain't marrying some little pushover. He ain't marrying someone as the bride of Christ. It just falls over every silly wind of doctrine of the first test or trial that comes along. He's married a full-grown, solid believer dressed in Ephesians 6 armor. You will. It will obey. Everything obeys God, and it will obey you. It will obey you if you have faith. Does that sink in? It will obey you if you have faith. Joshua stopped the sun. Is that true? Somebody said all things are possible with God. Nothing's impossible, but all things are possible to you also. Nothing impossible to them that believe. All things are possible. Brought right down and made you. And if you just know who God was, if you just know who God was, well, I'm afraid the church doesn't know their authority. I'm afraid the Holy Ghost-born men doesn't realize their authority. The authority that God has permitted to his church. He told Peter, I'll give unto thee the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose will be loosed. I give you power over serpents, over all kinds of diseases. This is Luke 10, 19 he's quoting. All kinds of diseases, everything, and nothing shall harm you. He says, exercise your faith. Let it loose. Let your faith loose. Let God have his way. God will grant it to you. Again, expectations. He that comes to God must believe that God is God. That he will do what God says he will do. So when you come with your expectation, Lord, I have a need. I need this. Just the basics of in right now and this morning. Lord, I've come to a room. I forsook not the assembling of ourselves together. We've stepped in here. And I've not just come to a building with four walls. I've not just come in here that looks like a church. I've come to a place that I believe believers of like precious faith have brought their licks of fire. And when you get that much of God into one room, watch what happens. Watch what happens. Demons flee. Healings occur. Deliverance occurs because you get into his presence. He said, where two or three are gathered in my name, I'll be in the midst. Again, he got off the boat on the shores of Gadara, and the demons knew it. The demons knew it. You think a lot of times if you're just hanging out somewhere and you start talking about some horror movie you watched or some scary thing like that or some other kind of demonic thing like that, you can feel them drawing near. It don't take long. You feel those things drawing near. You start feeling scared, anxious, all these things, discouraged, depressed. You start feeling those things drawing near. That's the truth. Anybody noticed that before? You've been there? I've been there many times. But Jesus said, we're two or three are gathered in my name. So you get a couple believers together and you start talking about the grace of the Lord talking about the power of the Lord, talking about how real he is. You start testifying one another. The book of Revelation tells us that we overcome the devil with our testimony. Start sharing things, what God has done. Because those testimonies takes and shoves it right in the face of the enemy. says, he's not just the God of the Bible. He's not just the God of yesterday. He's not just the God of the judgment. He's the God of the right now. He's the God that fills this room right now. So what do you need this morning? All things are possible to him that believe. What do you need this morning? Turn over to 2 Samuel with me, chapter 21. Second Samuel chapter 21, verse 15. I'm in first. I got to go to second. Got to grab a different gear here. Forgive me for that. Second Samuel 21, verse 15. 
Moreover, the Philistines had yet war again with Israel. David went down and his servants with him and fought against the Philistines, and David waxed faint. And Ishebinob, which was of the sons of the giant, the weight of whose spear weighed 300 shekels of brass in weight, he being girded with a new sword, thought to have slain David, another giant, thought to have slain him. But Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, secured him and smote the Philistine and killed him. Then the men of David swear unto him, saying, Thou shalt no more go out with us today to battle, that thou quench not the light of Israel. And it come to pass after this that there was again a battle with the Philistines at Gob. And then Sibekai the Hushathite slew Saph, which was of the sons of the giant. And there was again a battle in Gob with the Philistines, where Elhanan, the son of Jer, Ortegim, a Bethlehemite, slew the brother of Goliath. The brother of Goliath. You know, just a few years before that, every man of Israel was scared and hiding from Goliath. Every soldier in Israel is hiding. Please don't put my name in a hat. Please don't let him look my way. We will hide over here and Goliath won't know that we're in this army. And then a first fruit shows up. Then a first fruit shows up. Shows you where to put your foot. Shows you where you put the foot. That's what I love about the Lord Jesus. The first fruits, that wave sheath. You see what your husband is. You see what your redeemer is. But God didn't just stop there. God come in flesh in the form of a, of a prophet of this day to be the first fruits for you to show the bride what's possible. To show the bride what's possible of this day. And that same God that worked through that one works through you as well. All things are possible to you. That's why I say all the time, why didn't the boat empty out? Peter saw the Lord Jesus walking on the water and said, Bid thou come to me if it's you. He said, Come. Peter steps out, walks on the water. Why didn't the boat empty out? It can be done. It can be done. So that's why, again, back to our testimonies. I can share testimonies with you of people just like you. Just like you. That God's moved in supernatural, mysterious ways. And you come to that same conclusion, every believer should, that he's my God too. He's my God too. If he'll do it for them, he'll do it for me. That's what I'm testifying to you this right now. Again, there was a battle in God with the Philistines where Elhanan, the son of Jerich Ohorim, a Bethlehemite, slew the brother of Goliath, the Gittite, the staff of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. There was yet another battle. There was yet a battle in Gath where it was a man of great statue, stature, Great stature that had on every hand six fingers, on every foot six toes, four and twenty in number. He also was born to the giant. See, we're not talking about a five foot tall man with six fingers or six toes. We're talking about a mammoth of a man. And he's not just like, oh, he's slow. He's big, but he's slow. These are warriors from their youth. These aren't some big clumsy things. They're like, that's what uh, Saul told David. He's been trained since a youth to be a soldier and a warrior. He's not just, I can't, not, not turning quickly. This man knew how to fight. You're not just walking up, well, I'm quicker, I'm smaller, I'm quicker. No, this man been fighting his whole life. Been in a battle his whole life. Now, what I love the perversion here is, I just told you about four and 20 elders before the throne. This man had 24 digits. He had 12 fingers and 12 toes. Satan wanted to make it look like he was something. Want to make it look like he was the one before the throne. 
that this particular one, because again, those 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 disciples are the 24 elders before the throne. And right here, you now have the tribes of Israel that were of those same sons of Jacob, of Israel, of all those from Judah to Bethlehem, to, to, um, to, to, to Benjamin, to, to, to Joseph, Manasseh, Gath, every one of those, they were the, the true seed standing there to fight. And now Satan brings up his perversion, said, I want to let you know that, no, I've got a throne as well, and this man's going to defeat you. I love there in the book of Kings where, uh, the, the, is it the Samaritan, no, I can't remember who it was, that, that they come to fight, I just read that recently, that they come to fight the children of Israel, and they, they, they fight them there in the hills, and the children of Israel, through the power of God, stomps them. They go back, and they come back a little while later, and they're all telling everybody the only reason why they whooped us is because it's militia warfare. You know, they were able to jump out of a tree on top of us. They're hiding behind rocks. He, your God is only the God of the hills. He's not the God of the plains. God said, okay. I'll show you who God is. Let's try this over here now. Not a tree in sight. Not a, not, I bet that place was as level as could be. String line level. No ditch, no nothing whatsoever. He said, I'll show you who God is. Come here. That's the same God you serve. Same God. And when he defied Israel, when this man, this, this son of this of Gath, he defied Israel, this brother, he, he defied Israel. Jonathan, the son of Shimei, the brother of David, slew him. These four were born, born to the giant in Gath. They fell by the hand of David, by the hand of his servants. They fell. So then, you have the message of this day. A lot of people get confused about their role in the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ. They want to say that, well, when you come to the promised land, when you come to these things, you're in the baptism of the Holy Ghost now, you're just kind of hid away and, and there's, no, there's nothing to you to fight and you can just, you know, just, just again, just float it out till the rapture. Just kind of float down the, ri the river with ease and, and all things are good and, and, and you don't have to do anything. Just, you have made it now. See, the walk of a Christian life is a paradox. It is a paradox. The word paradox means unbelievable yet true. Unbelievable yet true. You have the Ephesians, poor, far, Ephesians chapter 4 part of your life that you've entered into that rest. I know who bought me. I know who redeemed me. That is my Lord. That's my Savior. I am resting in my election. I know that I'm saved. I know that my name's in the Lamb's Book of Life. I know that I'll take a rapture. There's that part of resting in a Christian's life. That's not what you're called to in its entirety. These things are sure. They're certain. They're, 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 they're hid away in your heart. But what he did was he built this in the heart of an overcomer. He built this in the heart of a fighter. He built this in a bride wrapped in his armor holding his sword, which is quick and powerful. And it slays every demon. Every demon. I don't want to just say that and limit it to every demon in hell because all hell is poured out. Hell has moved to meet him and is coming. All hell is poured out upon you. So every demon, anywhere, any place, any time, but it still defeats them. You're called to be a very fierce people. Very fierce people. You're called to pray for one another, to bear one another's burdens. As a believer, well, I don't like them. So what? You're called to bear one another's burdens. You're called to be an intercessor, to stand in the gap for them, to, to carry them if need to be. You're called to die for them if need be. This seems strange. Because as he is, so are we. The Lord Jesus died for me. He bore my sins. He did all these things for me when I was his enemy. 
The Bible says when you were enemies to God, he died for you. When you were classified an enemy to God, he died for you. The prophet would tell you in the message that down Calvary, he said that for you, living for others is what eternal life is. It's to live for others. And then you say, well, live for who? Live for my brother, the person that loves me, who always says the best things, who only ever agrees with me. That's the one I'm to live for. He said, no, 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 no. The man that would kill you if he could get away with it, that's who you're to live for. The Lord Jesus did. He is our example. He is the first fruit. As he is, so are we. Do you love him this morning? Let's have our musicians come. We'll close a little bit earlier today. You're not alone in your fight. Yes, the enemy's real. Yes, the fight is real. Yes, it's something you can never stand on your own. But you're not alone. He is with you. Let's all stand to our feet this morning. Sing, He is Lord. He is Lord. Oh, yes, He is Lord. Oh, yes, He, he has risen for us.
to adore. Lord, I want to love you more. Sing it one more time. Lord, I want to love you more than I ever have before. You're so easy to
the desert needs the rain, I need you now. Oh, touch my heart again, I need you now. Oh, your spirit I have 
have heard thy voice and it told of thy love to me oh but I long to rise in the arms of faith and be closer drawn to Blessed Lord, to the cross where Thou hast died. Oh, draw me nearer, 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 blessed Lord, to Thy precious bleeding side. Consecrate me now to thy service, Lord, by the power of grace divine. And let my soul look up with a steadfast hope and my will be lost in thine oh draw me nearer oh nearer blessed Lord to the cross where thou hast died oh draw me nearer 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 blessed Oh, you are God, Lord. 
the only God whose power none can contend. You're the only God whose name and His praise will never end. You're the only God who's worthy of everything we can give. You are God, and that's just the way it is. Oh, you are God alone, and before time began, you are on your throne. You are God alone, and right now, In the good times and bad, you are on your throne. You are all alone. You are God alone from before time began. And you are on your throne. Yes, you are God alone. And right now, in the good times and bad, you are on your throne. You are God alone. You're unchangeable. You're unchangeable. You're unshakable. You're unstoppable. Oh, that's what you are. You're unchangeable. You're unshakable. You're unstoppable. That's what you are. You're unchangeable. You're unshakable. You're unstoppable that's what you are you're unchangeable you're unshakable you're unstoppable that's what you are oh you are God alone from before time began And you are on your throne. You are God alone. And right now, in the good times and the bad, you are on your throne. Let's sing that chorus one more time. Yes, you are God alone. From before time began, and you are on your throne. Oh, you are God alone. And right now, in the good times and bad, you are on your throne. You are God alone. And right good times and the bad you are on your throne you are God
the chains are gone, Emmanuel. Oh, God, let's sing that bridge. Such a tiny offering compared to Calvary, but nevertheless, Lord, we lay it at your feet. Such a tiny offering compared to Calvary, but nevertheless, we lay it at your feet. All together now, the course. Oh, now all that is within me, Christ, for you alone be glorified, Emmanuel. Oh, God with us. Oh, now my heart now sings a brand new song. The dead is paid. The chains are gone. Emmanuel. God with us. Such a tiny offering. Such a tiny offering. Compared to Calvary, but nevertheless, I lay it at your feet. Oh, tiny offering, compared to Calvary, but nevertheless, I'm going to lay it at your feet. Dead is pain. The chains are gone. Hallelujah. with us in that last verse. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Lord Jesus. We love you, Lord Jesus. Have your way. The dead is pain. The chains are gone. Have your way, Lord. Have your way, Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. 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 Praise the Lord. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. No more chains. There's no more chains holding me. My soul is resting. Oh, it's such a blessing. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I'm free. I'm free. I'm free. Praise the Lord. I'm free. No longer bound. There's no more chains holding me. My soul is resting. It's such a blessing. I'm gonna praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I'm free. I'm free. I'm free. I'm free. 
the Lord, I'm free, no longer bound. There's no more chains holding me, my soul is resting. Oh, such a blessing, praise the Lord. No more chains holding me. My soul is resting. It's such a blessing. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I'm free. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I'm free. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah, I'm free. Pour our lives out before you to be naked and bare before you, Lord. We love you. We appreciate your mercy, Lord. Thank you, Father, for your presence for your anointing in this place today, Lord God. Not one of us are worthy of such a visitation. But, Lord, we want to say thank you, Jesus. What a mighty God you are, Lord. Ah, you meet needs, Lord. You're the healer of our body. You're the lifter of our head. You're the restorer of our soul, Lord God. You're the restorer of marriages. You're the healer of babies, Lord. Great you are, Lord. I thank you, Lord, for being so wonderful, for being such a redeemer, such a wonderful present help in every single time of trouble. Lord, we love you this morning. I pray you bless my brothers and sisters in such a special way, Lord, for them coming to the house of the Lord today, that you'd be with them, that you'd encourage them, Lord, that your faith would be growing stronger and stronger in their hearts, that their eyes would become more open to your word, to your life, to your truth, that you bless them every which way they go, Lord. Be with them on their way home. Bless our fellowship. We appreciate your mercy, Father, and love you with all our hearts. In your holy name, amen. Oh, I surrender to the King. Let the worshipers. Oh, let the worshipers arise. Let the sons and the daughters sing. I'm surrendering my all, my all. I surrender to my King. Oh, Father, I see that you are drawing a line in the sand. And I want to be standing by your side. And hold in your hand So let your kingdom come And let it live in me This is my prayer This is my plea Let the worshipers arise 
let the sons and the daughters see. Oh, I'm surrendering my all, my all. I surrender to let the worshipers. Oh, let the worshipers arise. Let the sons and the daughters see. Oh, I'm surrendering my all. Oh, my all. I surrender to the King. Oh, Father, I hear that you're one louder. The song of your redeemed as the saints of every nation. Are awakening to sing from my heart. There comes an anthem. Oh, hear the heavens ring. This is my song to my King. Let the worshipers arise. Let the sons and the daughters sing. Oh, I'm surrendering my all, oh, my all. I surrender to my King. Oh, let the worshipers arise. Let the sons and the daughters sing. I'm surrendering my all, my all. I surrender to my King. Let the worshippers arise. Let the sons and the daughters sing. Surrender in my all, my all. I surrender. 